Multitasking. Always multitasking. Be efficient. Hello, everyone. We're back again. The Riding Gravel Radio Ranch. Episode 102. 102. And with me today is New York Roll. I'm Guitar Ted, your host for another episode of Riding Gravel Radio Ranch brought to you by Bike Rags. Bike Rags. Yay. We like Bike Rags. We like them. They sponsor this. You don't say. Bike Rags is an apparel and swag company based in Iowa that can help you out with any of your promotional needs for your event or your club or just because you are awesome. All the cool kids are doing it. That's right. It's your own apparel, hats, koozies, t-shirts, and more from Bike Rags Apparel. Tell Tony that Riding Gravel sent you. We'd appreciate it. All right. On with the show. Episode 102. How are you doing, New York Roll? I'm doing pretty good. Getting ready for a little trip up to uh, Canada. I'll be uh, just on the other side of Ontario in Quebec. Isn't it Quebec? Yeah, it's Quebec. But they got good fishing in Quebec. Do they? Is that what you're going to do? No. I'm going to go ride my bike. That's good. Well, I'm going to go because Morgan has some friends who's doing a wedding reception. So, therefore. So, tell the listeners who Morgan is because they don't know. Oh, Morgan's my girlfriend. I got chastised for not using her name. Not by her, by other people. (laughs) (laughs) We have you listeners to thank for keeping us straight on riding Gravel Radio Ranch. Yep. Please continue to do so. I found gravel up there to ride. In Quebec? Yes. Is it French gravel? Oui, oui. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to try riding 32s on it because it looks like you can. Yeah? Yeah. So I'll have a report on that. All right. Well, I look forward to that. How long are you going to be there? Uh, Four days, three nights. Nice. So I'll be here shortly, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll have to give us a a report on the gravel scene in Quebec. Canada. I'll try. <laughs> there used to be this really rad um, uh, ultra distance gravel event in Canada. I have to see if I can remember the name. Oh, of it. it's something Paris. There's a Paris involved. Oh, there's there. Paris and Castor Paris. That's not what I'm thinking about. Oh, no, there's also a New York Montreal ride. That's road ride though. I think, or is that's a rand? That's a mm-hmm. brevet. I think I shouldn't say brevet, but I think it's Randonneur U.S. Oh, I remember the name of it. Is Operacion Muerto. That one I've never heard of. It was over a 300-mile deal. Yeah. There's a race I've been eyeballing um, called the Butter Tart 700. But if I were to go do it, I would do the What XL. in the world is a Butter Tart? I think it's a pastry. It sounds dirty. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go with the pastry. and just. Yeah, it probably it, is. It probably is not. I'll get my mind out of the gravel ditch. You're probably right, and I'm probably <laughs> way off the mark. But No, you're <laughs> probably right. I hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's like a cheese Danish. Ooh, that would be good. I know. You know, they closed down our bakery we used to ride down to. Yeah, sad story. Rockets. But the other Rockets is still open. Yeah, but we don't have to ride gravel to get there. Well, we could ride at urban gravel. Yeah, we could. Alley gravel. That's interesting that you should bring that up because I've been thinking a lot about <laughs> doing this 100-mile alley thing. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> Joe's, a, Joe's a nigga, a local rider, brought it up to me, and I said something to you, and 
it seems like we should do it on fat bikes in the winter. Yeah. Random hot cocoa stops. Yeah. I yeah. can have the fireplace going. That would be good. Bowl of chili going. I think that's a deal. All right. All right. Well, uh, getting on to things that you people out there really care about, because who cares if New York Roll and Guitar Ted ride gravel and urban gravel or whatever. Um, there was an article written by uh, Yuri Hauswald. Uh, Yuri was the winner of the 2015 DK200. Yep. And he figured heavily into a lot of different gravel events back in the mid-20-teens. Um, he wrote an article for a publication uh, website called uh, Cycling Weekly. And it had to do with... Uh, the UCI coming in and putting on a gravel series and having a gravel world, which uh, he, I guess Yuri's uh, whole thing was, we already have a gravel world. We don't need you guys. Basically it was a, you know, the snapshot of what the, of what the article was all about. So I just wanted to talk about that with you, uh, Mr. Roll. Yes, sir. So did you get a chance to look at it? I read it twice today, and yeah, I, I think he, he expressed himself clearly. Um, I I could take some snarky comments just to make this podcast fun, <laughs> but uh, to make it boring, I, I generally understand where he's coming from. Yeah. It's, it's an op-ed. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, yeah, give you, give you uh, if you listeners don't know Yuri, he came to gravel... Um, via his single-speed mountain bike uh, career, if you want to put it that way. I know he did several mountain bike races back in the tw- 2000s. Um, he was introduced to gravel out there in California, where he's from. I think the Belgian waffle ride figured into his yeah, gravel yeah. background, if I'm not mistaken. And he ended up getting invited to come out and do uh, the DK200 in Kansas, which is now inbound gravel. And he... Ended up falling in love with the whole scene. He didn't didn't expect to, and uh, really got taken with it. So he ended up doing a bunch of different gravel events, and he still is, still does different gravel events. Uh, one of the talking points that I wanted to kind of pull out of his article was uh, this quote uh, concerning gravel worlds from the UCI. He goes, "I just don't believe the UCI and their elite level series is the vehicle." To do it, and he, what he was talking about was getting more people on bikes, um, because that's one of the goals that the UCI says they have, and he thinks this series and having the gravel worlds in the UCI level doesn't do that. There's that's been proven to be true, and I'm not yeah. talking so much um, real championship cycling, but uh, pro level cycling does not equate to more butts in the seats. We can talk about. Uh, the, was it mid-90s or early 90s? Uh, lack of a better, I, it did not start out that term, but there was American tour that wound up be calling Tour de Trump. Oh, yeah. Because Donald Trump was one of the main backers right. of it. And this was early 90s, mid-90s. It was Tour de Pont, I think, too, then. Yeah, but then yeah. I think it. I think the last year went into it because everyone else backed out. I think it became Tour de Trump by because I think he was the last man standing in that arrangement i think yeah maybe it's been covered a couple of times and i'm just the only reason why i bring it up is just because you bring up pro cycling doesn't um equate also we can look at what was out in california pre-pandemic um tour of california 
Yeah. The elite road race yeah. series, uh, I, stage you, race. You never hear anything about it. Just because it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but I just say, yeah. I, I think Yuri's got a couple of good cases that, yeah. you know, to prove just because right. it's pro. Yeah. And then all the cycling publications would focus on, and they still do on, you know, Tour de France, Tour of this, Tour of Spain, you know, and all these different big pro road races, and it doesn't really make more cyclists, right? No. So, no. Um, so I guess I'll, I would ask Yuri or you, what makes more cyclists? Oh, well, it's great that you brought that up, because I was going to make the point that uh, Yuri was pointing out that in an elite gravel series, now he's calling out the UCI, I'm just going to take his uh, point in an elite level series of any sort isn't going to get more people out on bikes. So the Lifetime Fitness Grand Prix? Right. That qualifies as that, right? Yeah. yeah. That's not going to get more people out on bikes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the people we're looking to get out on bikes are the people that are stuck in their cars on the six-lane highway. Those. That's when we talk about more butts on bikes. I think that's what we mean. Now, yeah. That's the other thing. What does that even mean, more butts on bikes? Well, it's growing the pie, growing the cycling pie, growing the cycling population. That's what I would say it is. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're making more racers. That well, even within the collective, our one board member, Kurt, he uh, hung up his cycling shoes years ago. Mm -hmm. Never, He was always just a wreck rider. And Kurt, not making fun of you, but he's vastly overweight. Mm -hmm. And about two years ago, he started riding bikes again. And he's having a blast. Yeah. And it gets him outside. And I, I count that as a win. You right. Know, it's well, that's the kind of person we're talking about, yep. right? We're that's talking about we getting getting those people out there that would be healthier and happier if they were riding bicycles more and being outside more. Um, and having a, an elite series in any niche of cycling doesn't help you that way. No. You know, and that's why I and a lot of other people, I think, would agree with me is say that the whole grassroots gravel scene wasn't about that. It was it was about getting more people out there. Yeah. And we still see that happening with the uh, low-key, uh, nightly, weekly, weeknight gravel uh, gatherings that happen all across the nation. Yep. We have a few here in Iowa. We've talked about them before. Still got Iowa City going on, yeah. Cornell. Um, yep. I think there's two distinct gravel rides down in Des Moines now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's and the, and these are the ones you know. I know there's a couple in in Missouri. I know there's one in uh, at least one in Nebraska that I'm aware of, but they're they're the ones that you know they're 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 run by shops or breweries or just you know clubs. And they say if you're gravel curious, meaning you've probably never done this before, uh, come join us because it's low key. We don't drop anybody. We gather up all the time. We go have a social thing afterwards. And that's the kind of activity that's going to drag somebody out of their their couch. Instead of watching Monday Night Football, they go on the Monday Night Gravel ride. Because it's scaled to be approachable. Right. Exactly. Whereas your your elite level series doesn't even approach that in any way. I think the only thing, if I was a not an everyday rider or someone sitting on the outside, um... I think the only thing a pro race would do for me is maybe uh, get my butterflies going, get me excited a little bit. But I mm -hmm. don't know if it would 
translate to getting me on the bike. Well, let's let's be devil's advocate advocate but here. Let's say there's a young boy standing on the side of the road and sees these guys flying by, and he aspires to be one of these people someday, and then he ends up doing that someday. I'm sure that's happened. Or some young gal. Let's yeah. not just peg it to guys. But, you know, boy, uh, some boy or girl sees us flying down the road, this spectacle of cycling, and they get inspired by it. I'm sure that happens. I mean, maybe you're hitting on something. Maybe pro women are more important to the sport right now than pro men because there's a whole demographic that is behind. Right, right. And they're showing women that it can be done. Correct. Right? Correct. Don't, don't count yourself out. So there is something to it, but I still say that overall, if, if the goal is to get more butts on bikes, and if more butts on bikes means getting people who don't normally ever cycle to cycle – I don't believe elite level series things do that. So one of the things, because Morgan lives in Chicago, she used to live over in the Lincoln Park Lakeview area. I would see, funny enough, I would see more guys kitted up to be hardcore roadies, and I would see more girls probably about the, about ranging from 95 pounds up to, you know, full-on 220 rocking fixies. And to me, that's way cooler than uh, going out pounding, you know, a hard hammer ride. You know? Pretending you're a pro roadie dude. Correct. <laughs> well, there's that part of cycling too, you know. But I, I just wanted to, to con- you know, to kind of hone in on that thought of more butts on bikes and then elite gravel series. And then what Yuri said was he didn't believe the UCI was going to be a catalyst for new cyclists. And I, I, I think he's right, but I think it goes further than that. I think it goes to, like you said, the lifetime grand prix thing or Belgian waffle ride series or any of those things that get, you know, where it's all about competition and, and high end athleticism. And that's not going to be inspiring to the person that is like Kurt, who you mentioned, you know, it's not going to inspire somebody like him to get on his bike. You know, what's going to inspire somebody like him to get on his bike is, hey, uh, there's a bunch of us that are going to go out and ride 20 miles, and then we're going to hit the pub and, yeah. and jump, you know, jaw around and have a good time. You want to join us? Oh, that sounds like a good time. It's better than sitting on the couch. So that's the kind of thing that I think is going to inspire. And then when you get people out on bikes and they, they say, wow, I feel better. You know, I've done this a few times, and it's it's a good it's a good community and the people are nice. And, um, what else can I do in my bike? Then that, that question, if that question pops in their mind, now we've got them. Now we've got someone who's going to start doing things by bike. Like, well, you know, instead of getting in the car, I didn't get to go on the ride yesterday, but I could ride my bike down and get that gallon of milk. And that, that'll be a bike ride. Right. So they, they, they get hooked on wanting to ride their bike. Like we all do that ride bikes. We yeah. know what that is. They don't, you know, until they start doing it. So I, I, th- I think that's what does it. That's just my opinion. But. And I, I've had these discussions. It's kind of on the same path but off is just because you see someone on a department store bike, don't make fun of them. Yeah, right. Um, they're a feeder system, and also you don't know their background. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've been on um, a couple of rides where – I've made fun of other people's bikes. Mm-hmm. It's not the best moment in the world, but I also knew who I was talking to. And I also know that I've watched them do that. And, you know, I've watched bike shops, guys roll up to their mm-hmm. ride, 
and they have another bike shop's water bottle in their on their bike, and the shop owner says something to them about that. And I'm yeah. kind of like, no, yeah, not cool. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff adds up to pushing right. people away. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we got to stand here with arms wide open and take on everyone because there are jerks in the world. <laughs> correct. Hi, got my hand up. You know, but my my point is is um. Try to respect other people yeah. and don't jump to conclusions. Right. On so I got background. a good story about that. And I think I probably told it on Riding Gravel Radio Ranch before, but it's worth bringing it up now because it fits what you're saying. So I used to put on a gravel ride, a weekly gravel ride, before it was cool, <laughs> back in the early 20-teens. And uh, it was going to be the last uh, one of the year because I think it was – either late October or the first week of November, you know, we're yeah. running out of light and it's getting cold and all those things. And people were, were hanging their bikes up. Uh, but I said, yeah, this is going to be the last one. And, and uh, a young woman that I worked with said, are you still going to put that on? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, I'm going to bring my friend. Oh yeah. We're going to show us. Yeah. So uh, I said, yeah, sure. You know, and she had just started working at the bike shop I was working at at the time. And she showed up, and she was on a 1970s-era 10-speed. I think it was, uh, I can't even remember. It was one of those Japanese 10-speeds that we were, 9 million of them back Let's in the Let's just 70s. say Panasonic. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. And uh, and her friend was on a Next. And, uh, you know, typical de- department store, 26-inch women's frame mountain yep. bike. And uh, she was... I would say she was 5'11". She was pretty close to six foot tall, so the bike didn't fit her. She was bigger, yeah. too big for the bike, and the bike wasn't working right, and of course, you know. Uh, and so, you know, she, they pull up, and they were a little bit sheepish and stuff because I think they knew they were not riding the best equipment in the world and wondering what I was going to say. And, and I said, oh. And so I knew right away that I was, this was a challenge, you know, for me. To be to say and do the right things because I didn't want to turn them off. That was my number one goal. I didn't want to turn these people off. And I said, "Okay, well, um, let's let's take off." You know, are you guys ready? Well, yeah. And so you know, we had to stop often because they weren't yeah. they'd never done anything like this before. Uh, usually, we did forty miles on that ride. I think that night we did twenty. And uh, I think about three quarters of the way through, you could see their on their faces that they realized that I wasn't going to drop them or get frustrated with them, and they were they were letting their guard down, and they were enjoying it. They were actually were started to enjoy yeah. themselves. And um, when we got back, I thought, all right, they made it, I made it. Looks like everything was cool, and we we parted and went our di- separate ways. Well. I think the next week it was that um, the, the the young lady that talked to me the first about it uh, that I worked with, she said, hey, th- we had a blast. I said, you did? She goes, oh, yeah, we, we want to do that some more. And so they were really excited about it. So, you know, the point being is uh, a typical uh, male-dominated group ride might have went, well, you guys have showed up to the wrong place. Look at that bike. Oh, God, you need, you can't do this on that bike. You know, are you kidding me? That bike doesn't even fit you. And, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And I didn't say any of those things. Or I didn't do any of those things. And so they ended up getting inspired. And I know 
the the one gal is an avid cyclist yet i don't know about the other one because they've moved away but they did my event trans iowa they signed up for trans iowa (laughs) (laughs) their first gravel (laughs) event which is if you don't know it was a 300 mile unsupported gravel race so um that's how inspired they got right because i was open and accepting and and you know willing to to take them where they were at they were at this level, and so that's where I took them from, right? And just kind of nudged them along a little bit. So, so. I used to run uh, Monday Night Gravels here. A local rider, Cat Porter. Um, if I had a lady show up who I don't know who they are, look at the bike, I would ask Cat to hang back with them, and I would always be watching over my shoulder trying to control the horses in front trying to keep the group because it was supposed to be a 12 mile an hour pace but that same concept of just be just be ginger with the be, you know the, the beginners uh just just be gentle with them don't bang on them don't correct their tire pressure till you're halfway through and they're bouncing and you say hey what are you running for tire pressure oh okay how about we take a little bit of that out are you good with that i got a pump in case you don't want to try that and you don't like the way it's going you know, so those are the things I would advocate for is what you did. Yeah. Be, be considerate. and Right. And so the, the, whole, uh, the whole point of bringing up these stories is you're not going to get that with an elite level gravel series like the UCI wants to do. Unless you go to their camp. <laughs> <laughs> Got your money out. Um, so anyway, in the same article, Dan Hughes was quoted. And Dan Hughes was a four-time winner of the DK200 in the early years. He's a Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame member. And he's quoted as saying, I don't think the UCI understands what uh, gravel is all about. Uh, There are like 10 people in the world that would care who the UCI Gravel World Champ is. Everyone else wants to, you know, is like me, wants to challenge themselves and wants to, um, you know, go and have a beer afterwards. And that's the spirit of gravel, that's what he said. And he, I think he's dead on, right? You know, um, that's what grew this whole scene. You know, people coming out. And the, the whole idea back in the day was, you know, a lot of events used this line. They'd say, you know, push yourself farther than you ever thought you could. You know, yeah. it was about your, it was about growing you. And then Serum, <laughs> which is another Iowa huge historical race for gravel. Serum's tag is hesitation is devastation Yeah, because they run that race in Iowa the last weekend of February. (laughs) You never know what it could be a luge because it was a couple years ago or it could be 70 degrees because it was a couple years ago. You know, and mud. (laughs) I wrote it that one year I wrote it it was uh, three inches of fresh snow on the roads. Yeah. (laughs) So. But yeah, I mean that's that's pushing yourself beyond what you know you can do, right? And everybody was in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. And uh, when you got done, it didn't matter if you took seven hours to finish or if you took three hours to finish. Everybody was chumming uh, around and having a good time. So I kind of wrote that in my blog a couple months ago. That half the fun of gravel early on was solving the puzzle, right? How to finish, right? And or could you even finish? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's. It's, did you finish, number one? What type of day was it, number two? 
And number three, if you dropped, how did you drop? Right. You know, it was. Let's hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the winner wanted to hear the losers. Oh, you know, I shouldn't say loser. The winner wanted to hear everybody else's story. Yeah. You know, if you came in last, people, in fact, we used to like almost celebrate the last place person. I can remember the early DK 200s where the guy who used to help me with Trans Iowa, David Pals, came in last, I think twice. They actually made an award about that for him. Yeah. Uh, What's his name up there? Jeremy Kershaw. He would, uh, he had the uh, last place award for the Heck Epic, mm-hmm. who took the longest yeah. to finish the course. Not drop, but to finish the course right. for those two days of riding. Right. So, I mean, that's that's the early gravel scene. We almost lifted up those people higher than the actual winners. You well, know, it was kind of kind of unique. You know, I, I once heard a lady say, because she went out and did uh, Dakota 5.0, and she said, you know, I went and finished that race in five hours. I feel bad for the person still out there at nine. Those yeah. person are working way harder right. than I did. And yep. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. You put in a whole lot of work to get to that point. So their one day of caloric deficit is nothing compared to the work that you had to put into that to get there, to get to where you got to perform. So if you look at a race in a snapshot, how much work are you doing pre, yeah. you know? So well, maybe that person did all that too, and still took that long for him. Yeah, <laughs> my bad, my bad world. I judged incorrectly. <laughs> Way to go, New York roll. Yeah. Make, make everybody feel bad. <laughs> anyway, so if you uh, haven't read that article by Yuri Hoswald, uh, we'll link it in the show notes. But it's on CyclingWeekly.com. And it's worth reading, I think. It's a good viewpoint from a standpoint of uh, someone who, you know, was in the gravel scene as it was rising up and, you know, see, has seen yeah. some things, especially at the front end of the pointy end of things. Well, so. I think you can mark the turn of gravel with Dakota 200, not Dakota, sorry, with Dirty Kanza 200, TK 200, when... The one year the pros did not show up to the podium the next day. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that kind of is a pretty big bend. Yeah. And uh, that should be a significant moment of where gravel was and why and where at what point. Because mm-hmm. that was clearly about money. Mm-hmm. It was clearly, hey, we, we took it. Deuces. Yeah. You know, where it used to be, come, ride your heart out. Hang out for the next day, talk with people, hang yep. out with people. We wrap this thing up by one PM. Go home, have fun. Yeah. See you next year. And uh, now it's all business, right? Yeah. And I'm not making fun of Lifetime. I, I I get where they're coming from, but um, you know. So where do races go in the f- in the future? You know. Yeah. Well, it it. Or do we even? If you want to be grassroots, do you even have a race? So you have a ride. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, re- the reaction to uh, a lot of these big, fancy product produced gravel events and series is these weekly group rides. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, the whiplash effect there that people go, well, why should I pay over $200 to ride, you know, 200 miles plus my travel, plus my lodging you know that's you're talking about a thousand dollar weekend 
now just to ride 200 miles of growl when I and and what kind of fun am I having? What's my experience? So you're in a huge crowd. You don't get really get to know anybody, and um, you know it's a lot easier to have a bad experience that that way than it yeah. is to have a good one. I mean, I had one down at Land Run like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right at the start. So I'm, I'm guessing that's mid south now. By the way, yeah, I call the race by what the day <laughs> I attended it as. Well, I'm just helping people out there. Yeah, um, it's kind of like. The last winner of DK two hundred claiming he won unbound in twenty nineteen. I was like, you yeah, did, you did not win unbound. That's that whole that whole thing's goofy. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, stop trying to get on the right side of history. Right. <laughs> Anyways, the the teenager um, hit my rear derailleur and it you know it bent it and it, I haven't even taken the start yet. Kid come hauling up to the start line and skidded and then his front wheel hit my rear D. Yeah. And. You know, it wound up taking me out later because I went to go shift into my uh, 36 tooth and <laughs> over the wrap, over yeah. the te- over the cog. Yeah. You know? So, um, anyways, it, it, you're going to attract different people, and some people know what they're doing, some people don't, and that's yeah. Well, I, I think my point is that um, the gravel scene grew because of the early events way of doing things and the way they did things you know this goes back to what do you do you put on a ride or a race right and so it kind of depends on the event director yeah i was going to you know say a lot that. of a lot of it does um you know a lot of event directors think that success equals how big fancy productions look you know you got to have that inflatable finish line arch you got to have the chip timing you got to have a gps course you got to have you know this this and the other thing well the next thing you know this race is cost a lot of money to put it on for one thing everyone did not see my eyes roll with the word chip timing (laughs) i mean we didn't we'd have a chip timing back in the day you know we got along fine um so it's you don't need those things. You just absolutely do not need those things. But see, people think they do to have a good experience. But see, they're equating the production with the experience, where that's not what happens. And when you get too far over that line, when you get too far over your front wheel, you you know, you crash. And so I think that's what's happened with these really big events. They've gotten too far over their front wheel, and or they, these small events take last weekend. Yeah. That uh ride race down in um fairfield iowa they put a thousand dollar pot up for the winner of the 120 mile race and when i looked on friday day before the race on bike reg bike reg however you want me to say it um there was only two people registered yeah so the money's not drawing people right it's the experience and so I think that's what that's where the race director can get snookered into thinking, well, we want more people to come, so I have to make this look better. I have to make this yeah. run differently. Um, no, that's not why the people before came. Why did they come? I you I, know I mean I I think that's where where sometimes some of these events ended up getting you know off off of down a rabbit trail. I know I. I'm not going to name names, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's about economic development. 
So sometimes yeah. cities come in, they say, hey, like, well, that race you just mentioned down in Fairfield was put on by a city, by the, by the Chamber of Commerce down there. They didn't really, I don't think they really understood why people go to gravel events, right? So uh, a lot of these gravel events started out of just guys riding, you know, people riding together. Pirate Cycling League came out of, you know, a bunch of college people that wrote training rides out in the gravel roads. That's where it started, you know, and now it's Gravel Worlds. So you can trace the line all the way backwards to that. So did they have they lost uh, why they started? No, I mean you you could po- you could. There's an argument to be had there. I'm not sure I'm going to say one way or the other, but you know they're they're a lot different than they were. Uh, Unbound gravel definitely turned around that corner, because um, that's not not where they came from. What you, people if people went to the 2006 to 2010 uh, DK200, it wouldn't look nothing. They wouldn't have no touchstone to what it is now. They wouldn't even recognize it. Yeah. It's completely different. So, you know, that event grew grew because of those days, though. And that's the whole gravel scene grew because of those days. And these smaller events are still around because of the way they – like, I, I, I kind of liken it to the, the race director is inviting you over to their house, and this is the way we put on a party, and everybody does their party different. And so sometimes that works for you, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's why you go to that event every year. And then, like I said, sometimes the it seems like the, the event directors get snookered down to go down another rabbit hole where success equals more money and bigger production, and, and they kind of lose – the feel, you know, Am it's I it's hard to balance that. I think of all the r- events that got big from the old days, uh, that kept a modicum of that grassroots thing. Gravel worlds in New Lincoln, Nebraska, did it the best. So, I'll say that. <laughs> and and if you're an aspiring race director out there, my advice to you is put on the event that you want to go to. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I mean, if, if if an inflatable finish line thing, chip timing, and uh, people lining the, the finish line shoot is your deal, that's what you would like to do, then put on that kind of an event. But you're going to have to grow it to get there, yeah. you know. But if, if, it's, if, if it's just more about personal growth and challenge and hanging out and having a beer afterwards, like Dan Hughes is talking about in that article, then that's not – you don't need those trappings. No. A, a used <laughs> popsicle stick with right. your time on it is yeah. good enough for me. Right. You know, <laughs> and and it, I remember we used to get accused of not putting on real races back in the 20 teens by the cycling journalists out there. And I'm like, well, two kids racing their bikes around the block, that's not a real race. What's a real race then? You know, if, if two kids riding around the, I can beat you to the corner. If that's not a race, then what is a race? <laughs> you took away all my stop sign sprint victories. Way to go. <laughs> so I, I just think that it, it's it's a good thing to kind of take a step back and go, you don't need that Garmin to ride gravel, you know. You don't need that $1,500 carbon fiber wheel set to ride gravel. You don't need that. And that's, that's, the, that's the trouble with the whole 
you know, falling forward, getting too far over your handlebars thing with, with cycling is it, it, people go, well, you just invented this whole thing. So we'd spend more money. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. You can ride oh. a Schwinn balloon cruiser for your gravel bike. Why not? You know, you, you're the one that's holding yourself back. You're just listening to what you think everybody sh- says you should do. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you go into a bike shop, their goal is to sell you everything in that shop. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's retail. Right. They don't want to tell you that. Shimano wants you to buy everything Shimano. SRAM, same story. Right. They, they want you to be exclusive to them. Right. And they want you to buy what they tell you. That's what businesses do. Yeah. You know, we just need to be mature about it and say, okay. But then again, you know, we could blame the Instagram privateers all day yep. long because they're promoting this. Right. Because that's how they get paid. Yep. You know, they, they get paid to push product and we're dumb enough to buy it. <laughs> or we're we're dumb enough to buy the narrative that, that says we need it. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and I'm as guilty as anybody because I, I write reviews for writing gravel, right? Of all this new fancy stuff, right? Yeah. You know, you don't need any of it. You know, you could ride a cantilever bike uh, braked bike with, you know, uh, old box section rims and whatever tires you want to throw on there. And if it, as long as it's a working bike and it's safe, Hey man, that's just like we used to, like I told that story about those two girls, you know, one was on a seventies 10 speed and the other one was on a next. And who am I to say they can't do that? They gravel. did it. They did it. Right. <laughs> so they're gravel bikes then. <laughs> I mean, that's going back to a, one of your first blogs I read was you want a mutt. And what you're yeah. preaching was at that time was find a 26er, put low aggressive tires on it. And if by chance you want to throw drop bars on it, throw drop bars on it. You don't have to. Right. Go out and explore the gravel roads. Go go explore what's around you. Yeah. And if you want to upgrade from there because you decide you like it, go for it. Right. But that will give you a, a cheap way to discover if you like to ride gravel or not. Right. Right. And there's yep. people here that hate gravel. They want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. Yep. If you want to be a roadie for life, then that's fine. Cool. You know what? At least you're on a bike. And I, I think that's where we need to get back to is, you know, at least you're on a bike. Yeah. Are you having fun? And if you're All not right, on good. a bike, <laughs> can you at least give me a wide berth while you pass me in your car? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't cold roll me, please. <laughs> Now you're asking too much. Uh, actually, <laughs> every time I get cold rolled, I die laughing. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, that's got to be about $5 out of your pocket for being spiteful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I never get that. Of course, I don't ride on pavement, though. Um, Yeah. I, I've gotten it a couple times this year. Hmm. Interesting. It, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Well, what I mentioned review stuff let's talk about some review stuff so i got in some new tires yes sir the wtv volpines yes sir they're 40 millimeters wide or they're supposed to be that's not what you said in your blog well yeah they (laughs) did stretch though is it the rim no i mean it's a 23 millimeter internal rim which is good uh, enough that should be good enough you're on the narrower side right 
So, and Granny Gear out in California got a set too, and he put them on 25 internals, and his measured 40 right out of the right away. So, so that tells me it's a red. Well, he got the non puncture protection ones too. So, puncture protection belts don't let tire casing stretch as much. Okay. Because they're nylon. Okay. Those puncture protection belts usually are. So, and nylon doesn't stretch like fabric does. And that's why if you get a puncture protected tire, they ride stiffer a lot of times. That's one of the reasons why. Because it's not as flexible as fabric cords. Mm-hmm. And if you're not aware, tires, ca- tire carcasses are like woven textile material. Yep. A lot of people don't, don't know that. With rubber yep. uh, vulcanized over it. So that's what a tire is. Yeah, think of that nylon kind of like someone's going to be no! But think of it as like rebar. In a, yeah. s- in a cement street. Right. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, with the WTB version of, it's called SG2, and yep. instead of round nylon fibers, their f- nylon fibers are flat. Is SG a common thing? Because I think another company uses SG. Well, SG stands for slash guard. Okay. That's what that means. It originally was made for their mountain bikes, tires. But... Yeah, the flat fibers, uh, according to WTB, require less rubber to bind it together because they're not round fibers, so it's a lighter weight way to do it, and it's supposed to help retain air better, and it's supposed to be stronger uh, as far as protecting against punctures. So I found that it does hold air better. It does do that, and it does ride better than most puncture-protected tires, so I think they've got okay. some. They got some claim there. But what we're looking at here is a little wider Volpine than what we reviewed last year, and we're hoping that it rides, handles the rougher stuff a little better. Uh, WTB calls it their racing gravel tires. It's, you know, we'll see. (laughs) I liked the 36, but it was just too narrow. So that's going to be a deal where hopefully Granny Gear will have some input, and you'll get basically two reviews in one. Yeah. From two different parts in the country. And you're coming up on agricultural harvest season here. Yeah, it's already started, yeah. Yep. So you're going to have some primo gravel probably till about mid-November once yep. the maintainers go back out. Yeah. Because we're about due for a rainy season here. Yeah, but it doesn't look like we're going to get it. Yeah, it usually it feels like out here it starts in mid-October and goes to like mid-November, kind of like the rainy, yeah. like how I... Could, yeah. I know f- it, in the near future, it's not supposed to be very rainy yeah. at all. It's supposed to be dry. <coughs> Excuse me. So speaking of dry, I need a drink of this fantastic flavored water. Um, San Pellegrino. Pelle- yeah, San Pellegrino. Yep. The first flavor was killer. What was it? Lem- it's a lemon. Limonata. Limonata, yeah. That, phew, man, that was good. Oh, it's got me puckering. This is Aranciata Rosa. Whatever that means. I can't find Topo Chico anymore. I think there's a run on it. Probably because I linked it in our last show notes. <laughs> <laughs> you can send the royalty checks to me. Guitar Ted at g.ted.productions.gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> it's r- I'll claim it. Hey, man, if I don't claim it, someone else will. <laughs> it's flying off the shelves right next to our gravel healing crystals. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we should probably do that. Gravel healing crystals. That's a good one. <laughs> so now San Pellegrino. We'll link that in the show notes and see what happens. 
buy one gravel healing crystal and get one pet rock for free. <laughs> <laughs> Curated pet rock from Iowa Gravel Road. That'd be great. So, um, Granny Gear, he's doing this light roundup. He started it last year, actually. Yeah. So, he's got some fantastic, never been better uh, off-road gravel light that he's testing right now that I'd never heard of. It's like multiple uh, light emitter yeah. kind of thing. Um, pretty fancy pants. But he doesn't like it because it has a cut-off light. It could, the beam's cut off. Oh. So, do you know what that means? It's got a bottom frame on it that well it's supposed to like keep the light out of like oncoming car driver's eyes oh okay so it cuts it off on the top side you know so you have like a full flood from about your chest level down but the top part is cut off so it doesn't like blind oncoming drivers that's not a bad thing because i was thinking about this the other day people who ride with head mounted lights Mm mm-hmm and you're riding down the road, and they look into the cab of a car. Yeah, it kills your eyes, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like the cop shining the flashlight. Yeah, I've had, had some talks with some people on some rides. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. You know, you do not have good light discipline. Right. So I think on gravel roads, it's okay to have a cutoff beam. But he was, you know, talking about he, a lot of times he takes his gravel bikes on single track out there. Yeah. You know, and, and fire roads and stuff. And he says it really sucks when you're going downhill because you can't see where, where the oh. hill starts going up again because your beam's cut off. Yeah, because right? it's overshooting. Well, yeah, your beam you, when you're when you're pointed down yeah. on a decline, you can't see where the incline starts because of the cutoff beam. Is, normally, if you didn't have that, there would be like a lot of light yeah. above your head that would shine on that incline coming, and he doesn't know where that starts now with this light. He says it may be the greatest off-road light ever, but it really sucks to ride off-road because, especially in hilly terrain where he yeah. lives out there. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. He's going to write it up. And he's also uh, testing some hunt wheels. You've got hunt wheels. They're a good wheel. Yeah. They're a good wheel. So I guess he's doing something with some of their alloy-rimmed wheels right now. Yeah, I only know about their carbon. They have a pretty good hub. Yeah. Everything's fairly clean, fairly serviceable. They're yeah. very inquisitive about what you're mounting to. Um, I think they're trying to grow their database a little bit, which is fine. Aren't they from the UK? I believe they are. And they like to do batch processing. So you get a better deal. You get a better price. So I think I picked these 35X wides up for like, we'll just say a grand. And once I paid shipping, it was like 12. Mm. But... That was a couple of years ago, and uh, I, you know, at that time, gravel wheels were going for fifteen, sixteen cheap. Yeah. You know, so you know, you're getting a price discount. Then I think they got a little too popular, so the demand's gone up, so they can ask more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'd be interested to see how the aluminum runs. Yeah, he's he seems to really like hunt wheels. He's had good luck with them, so yeah, and he's tried a ton of different wheels. Yeah, yeah. Good. So we'll see how they go, but that's his his next uh, his next reviews coming up, and then I got to close up the review on this uh, uh, <coughs> old man mountain rack that I'm using. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that in a while. Forgot yep. about it. So yeah, so I'm gonna 
I actually just did the, my final test with it today, this afternoon. Okay. Or actually this morning. Went out and did, uh, you know that Saturday's Outdoor Coffee Day? Did this you know Saturday? That? This Saturday, yeah. Huh. Did not know that. It'd be October 1st. Um, Who's got free coffee tomorrow in the area? <laughs> so I went out and practiced my outdoor coffee game this morning. And uh, used my, you know what a penny stove is? Yes, I, I do from camping, yeah. Yep, yeah. So I made myself a penny stove out of a beer can. And that was my stove, and I got a little titanium camp kit, and I went out in the green belt out here and um, hauled all my stuff out there and made coffee and sat by the lake and had a nice cup of coffee. Yeah. So, but, yeah, this rack, the Old Man Mountain rack, it's called the Elkhorn rack. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty nice. Um, I never did get to do my big trip with it that I had planned because too many other things came up, but. Um, yeah, I definitely, if you're doing a bike packing trip and you'd rather use paneers or you like the idea of being able to attach anything cages to the stays like this one can, um, it's definitely way sturdy rack yeah. and you can mount it front or rear and through axle or eyelet or, you know, there's a million ways you can mount it cause they got all the, the hardware to do it. So yeah, pretty nice. So it's probably going to get a pretty good review, but it's not light by any stretch. But, yeah. you know, if you're relying on this thing to haul your crap, you know, halfway across the country, then you don't want anything that's going to possibly break. You know, old man mountain stuff's pretty bomber. So I can remember back in the day when they were like the the rack to use on Tour Divide. Now nobody does racks anymore, but <laughs> 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 that's kind of coming back, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one's going to be the... One of the reviews that you'll see soon. Um, other than that, I mean, we're getting down to the end of the year here, so we'll be slowing things down a little bit. Yeah, podcasts will start spacing out a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, yeah, we've been doing them, what, once a week? And we'll probably do two a month for the winter yeah. time. And so, but we'll still be here. We'll be around for the winter, so don't yep. worry about that. And, uh Anything else to add, Mr. New York Roll? Oh, nothing that's really coming to the top of my head other than uh, I look forward to talking about what I learned in Canada and can I ride it on my CAD 13 with 32-millimeter tires. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I think I'll run those tires around 60 PSI. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I got those 90-millimeter deep-dish carbon rims on them. Mm -hmm. Tubeless? Tubeless. Yeah. I'm thinking 60. Maybe really don't want to go much lower than that without no, trying. Probably not. I mean, I run them at 80 right now. I run pavement. I don't know. But I got to take Morgan's bike, too, because she wants to go riding with me. Yeah. We'll see how that goes out. You use your name, Morgan, so don't give him any grief. <laughs> I said so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. My idea of early start and her idea of early starter. Two different things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to dedicate this podcast to Morgan, New York Rolls girlfriend. I hope you all enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time on the Riding Gravel Radio Ranch. Goodbye.